Hello and welcome to you all to episode 105 of the Doss and D Show. Before we get into today's episode, remember to hit that subscribe button. And if you're feeling generous, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us grow the show enormously. Now, today's episode is a very special one as we welcome yet another true Australian hero, the lovely and inspirational Tammy Van Wisser. Tammy has accomplished nearly everything there is to do in the field of marathon swimming. She's broken six world records, five of which she still holds today, as well as ticking off swims such as the English Channel twice, the Murray River, a 106 consecutive day swim, and New York City to Sandy Hook where she broke an 81-year record, and Tammy takes us behind the scenes for all those milestone events. As well as sharing those incredible moments with us, we learn so much more about what really goes into making these dreams not only reality, but world records. Tammy shared with us where it all began and the amazing sacrifice her parents made to make her dreams come true, as well as the unbelievable length she went to to stay focused during swims, including memorising music playlists and full movies to keep her mind relaxed when competing. We hear about the work that is done that you just wouldn't consider when attempting these incredible challenges, like raising money, choppy weather, illness, purposely putting on weight, and even a story about the Australian swimming legend Dawn Fraser breaking her ribs diving into the water to save the day. You will be encapsulated by Tammy's lovely nature as she reminisces and inspires us all to chase what we want in our own lives. Even if the goals seem out of reach, Tammy proves it's all mindset. So without further ado, here she is, the absolute Aussie legend, Tammy Van Wisser. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Smashing societal pressure and unlocking your secret ambition. Now Doss, are you ready for our next interview? Deep. I'm ready. Now let's go balls deep. Well, it's a wet day, Doss. Not wet enough for our, uh, our lovely guest to swim here today, but Tammy Van Rees, welcome to the Doss and D Show. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, no, I didn't swim, didn't swim. Stuck to the car today. Well, we're actually <laughs> talking like and getting straight into it. You've swam the equivalent of the earth one and a half times. Yep, 65,000 kilometres. So, yeah. Well, not today's... in one go. Not <laughs> in one go. No, no, no. I was silly enough. So when, I, when I've been training over the years, I always kept what we call a training logbook and you used to have to hand it into the coach each week and you'd record every single session how many kilometres you'd swum and you'd add them up at the end of the week. So I had years and years of logbooks and I thought it'd be fun one day to kind of just tally them all yeah and I got to that figure and plus the events that I've done like the actual marathon swims included so I'm I'm well over the 65,000 um, mark but look, that was a, a low estimate so I thought oh, over how many years was that I was that? just gonna say yeah. like yeah. how old were you when you started logging so I would have been 14 yeah wow yeah so yeah so it was over a sort of a 20 year span that I sort of it's looked amazing. at the log books yeah yeah it's so. amazing mm. I was gonna say like we were talking off air about we just come back from Europe a no, little while so ago so exciting I'm so envious oh. Well, now though, now, because we're, well, you know, always keeping an eye out how much would it cost to go back. It's four times as expensive. So, yeah. yeah so, now we're, so we're looking at the swim technique. That could be the, yeah. the new yeah, way. Yeah, to- yeah, that might <laughs> be the easier way. Correct. We might have to book you in to try this. Tammy, can you tell us how it all started for you? Because I, I can't wait to listen to your story and dive in and, and the different aspects of your progress and your story. But where did it all start? So for me, it all started when I was about, I think, 11 or 12, and mum and dad bought us one of those Clark Rubber four-foot above-ground <laughs> pools for Christmas, and I'd had lessons very early on, so like I was what they call drown-proofed back in the day where, you know, <laughs> they throw the babies into the pool and they wait ah. for you to pop up to the top, so I was six months old when I had that. And then mum, my mum learned to swim at the same time, okay. and um, I think I did that till I was about five, and then I stopped and did ballet. <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> very, very uh, different sport. But then I went back into swimming just, to, I guess, to formalise the strokes and I hated it. I didn't want to do it because I was actually overweight, really overweight as a child and used to get teased in primary school. Oh, really? Yeah, so I think um, I was voted like the the kid least likely to be involved in sport. Like, wow. Honestly, you would never have picked it. So that's Who wrote for that, by the way, is it? <laughs> like, you look at these things, it's crazy. Yeah, I know. You just, you don't know what path life's going to take yeah. you on, do you? Like, honestly, I would have never said, if you'd said to me, you're going to be a marathon swimmer back then, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah. Like, no way. So I did the swimming lessons in mum and dad, non-negotiable safety in Australia. Yeah. You've got to have, got to learn to swim. So I had some really encouraging teachers and kind of picked it up and bit of patience and time and liked doing swimming and lost the weight and got asked to join the local swim squad. So that sort of opened up a whole new world for me, I guess. Yeah. You know, I was pretty excited to have the opportunity to do it. And and I just love being in the environment because it was just so different. They were very supportive. Like when you join a swim squad, it's just that everyone's encouraging. You know, you see each other at five o'clock in the morning mm. and you've just fallen out of bed. And yeah. you do lots of hard things together in the water. Like, yep. you know, coach writes up the program. We all go through it together and we encourage and push each other to get the best out of each other, even though... It's an individual sport and you're chasing individual goals. You're still supporting your teammates. And we compete at, like, competitions like, you know, swim carnivals and the points that you get go towards your club. So the club's involved and you can realise. And, you know, we've all seen the Aussie team pulling together for the realise. There's just something really special about being in a great team. Mm. So I was really lucky to have that sort of supportive environment. And then from there I did the pool swimming for quite a number of years with the goal I wanted to go to the Olympics. I (laughs) I had the posters up on my wall. That was my dream goal. Yep. Um, and I I got as far as sort of nationals. I, I, you know, make finals for things and I won state titles but never, ever got into the big league and made an Australian team in the pool. Just wasn't fast enough. You know, I had... It's tough. It's tough. And, you know, you're talking hundreds of a second, you know, separate, yeah. you know, yeah. the really elite from, you know, B-final type things. So it's really cut through. Sorry, who was coming up at that time in, in the... Like the sprint. So for me, I was like Lisa Curry was okay. sort of like, yep. you know, in the scene. She'd just come back, had a baby, coming back was at the top of her game. Okay. And she was really, really amazing. Mm. So few, few like that. And Tracy Wickham had not long sort right. of left the pool and she was like one of my idols as yeah. well, you know. So that sort of era of swimmers, Kieran Perkins was okay. emerging, Susie O'Neill. Yep. So, yep. yeah, they were the big guns at that time. Great, you know, great role models to look up to too. Yeah. But, yeah, so I kind of um, I realised that, you know, I wasn't going to make it in the pool. So I got a bit jaded because, you know, it's really hard when you're not improving very much to keep going And because uh, swimming is just so rigorous. Sure. Like, you know, I think it's probably one of the worst sports in terms of the time required because it's, it's generally two sessions a day. So your day starts 5 o'clock at the pool. You're there till usually, you know, 7, 7.30. You know, school day starts or work day starts and then you're back there again at 4.30, 4.35 o'clock wow. in the evening and you're doing another two hours. So, and that's t- so every day pretty much you usually do sort of 9 to 10 sessions a week. So, like, you go Monday morning, Monday night, Tuesday morning, Tuesday night. We used to do Wednesday morning and have Wednesday night off. We do Thursday morning, Thursday night. Friday morning, Saturday morning, Saturday morning, huge session, usually three or four hours worth. So, wow. Yeah. So, like, really big commitment, you know, on top of everything else. Leading, yeah. Leading and you're a, you're a kid at this stage. Or a yeah, you're going to school. Yeah, yeah, you're at high school. That's a lot. You poor parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look, I look back on it now and think, my goodness, how did my parents do it? Like, yeah. the commitment. Like, there's no other committed 
parents like swim parents. They just, mm. you know, it makes you appreciate so much more looking back because I've got sure. my own 14-year-old daughter now and I'm thinking, well, I don't know whether I'd do that for her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. massive because I remember, like, you know, Dad would take us in the mornings and we had an old Volkswagen station wagon and he used to sleep in the back. We had a mattress really? and used to put the seats oh, down. while you were While we were training, training yeah, because wow. then, you know, he'd go home and literally have to go to work. Yeah, yeah so, course, And then yeah. mum would do the afternoon runs, you know, after school. She'd pick us up and take us. So, yeah, so they were juggling all the time. So three in my family, so my younger brother and sister, also going to the pool as oh, well. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, so lo- lots of um, lots of running around. So, so I did that. Like I said, I got a bit jaded with that and then um, I joined a life-saving club and that was lots of fun. I was down at Blackrock, started to compete, and I loved learning the new skills like being on a Malibu, paddling a ski, doing Iron Woman, yeah. you know, and then doing patrols. It was just that whole lifestyle of, you know, a bit more laid back but still the competition side. And that's how I discovered the open water swimming. And, I mean, I was paranoid when I did my first, you know, swim in the ocean. Like, I oh, bet. You know, because you, you, in the pool it's such a controlled environment. You know, you're following a black line, you've got lane ropes, you've got a controlled water temperature it's not choppy. Yeah. So yeah. whereas when you're taken out of that comfort zone and you're thrown into the, the sea, it's like so different. So even, you know, really accomplished pool swimmers, you know, struggle with that changeover from, you know, pool still water to open water. So, yeah. so it took me a little bit to get used to it. But then I started entering things like the Lawn Peter Pub and, yeah. uh, and I won that a couple of times and, and I went, wow, this is great. Yeah. And in Victoria we have a great open water circuit. Like there's a lot of sort of races over the summer from, you know, one and a half Ks to sort of two and a half type thing so I started doing that and when I was at the Life Saving Club I remember seeing pinned up on the notice board this entry form for a 20 kilometer swim from Beaumaris to Frankston and it was on Australia Day and I thought "Mm, should I do it because the furthest I swam was 10 k's in training and I just well I kind of took the plunge so to speak and went yeah what the heck I'll do it nice did it and um, yeah, it, I, I watched the movie Jaws the night before. <laughs> of course, you did. <laughs> really <laughs> bad idea. Like I thought it would actually make me laugh because I'd go, you know, that mechanical shark looks so bad. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it didn't work. Like as soon as I jumped in, you had the music playing. So there were twenty nine people that started at Keepers, and it was actually a beautiful morning. It was like a swimming pool when we started. Okay, as we headed towards Frankston, we were stopping every five kilometers because there's piers spaced out so you've got Morty Pier then you've got Chelsea Pier and then you've got Seaford Pier and then Frankston's where you finish so every 5k's you'd sort of swim to the pier and you'd have your support staff ready to feed you and kind of gauge how far you're going so first 5k's was okay it started to deteriorate sort of in the second half of the the race and I kind of had this plan that I'd stay in the middle of the pack because I I figured that if a shark did come it would take somebody (laughs) on the outside and I'd sprint into the beach I'd use my sprinting ability (laughs) but it kind of um as the weather turned everybody sort of started spreading out further and further and lots of people started pulling out because the waves got really quite big really? we had two to three meter swells in the bay because it's so shallow that you know once you get a bit of wind whipping up it, it actually gets yeah. pretty bad so um i remember getting to the 15 kilometer mark to seaford pier and my parents were my support crew and back in the day we knew nothing about nutrition so mum and dad were waiting with a big m a chocolate big m oh. and a mars bar for me oh. <laughs> and i was dreaming of it because my mouth was so salty like you know just that sweetness of oh. the milk what flavor maybe chocolate or strawberry or all chocolate yeah, oh, yeah, i'm yeah. a chocolate girl so just you know dreaming of the chocolate so swam in wash it down with a nice mars bar <laughs> yeah that's it you know <laughs> 
And and it was really funny because I think um, they must have seen how bad I was feeling because this was like, you know, I'd never swum 15 kilometres before. No. And I was in a world of hurt. Like yeah. I'd never been this low before. My arms felt like lead. Throat and tongue had swollen up so much from the salt water. Just like being in a boxing match, just, you know, you're constantly punched by the waves. Like it's like someone's just slapping you in the face every couple of seconds. And, and how many hours at this point to get to 15? Yeah, I was at about, I think I was about four and a half hours wow. at that point. So, yeah. And then so mum and dad actually said to me, you know, look, um, you've done such a great job to get this far. We don't blame you if you want to get out right now. And, in fact, yeah. 21 people had pulled out. So there was – out of the 29, right. 21 had already pulled out to that point because it got so bad. Okay. So I guess, you know, hearing mum and dad say that, you kind of kind of gives you a bit of a boost because I thought, well, you know, they're proud of me. I can't let them down. I'm yeah. just going to go a little bit further and see where it takes me. So off I headed into the distance towards Frankston. <laughs> Couldn't see anything but, you know, hoping it was there. And they actually sent a ski paddler out to accompany me just for safety because things were getting pretty bad. Yeah. But I was laughing because the ski paddler kept falling off because <laughs> it was so choppy. Was cause, wow. Yeah, because wow. he was side on to the waves as well. Yeah. So it was a bit more tricky for him. But he came out bearing a message from mum and dad and um, the message was, Tammy, you're in third position overall and there are two boys in front of you and you're catching them. And I was wow. like 17 years of age and I enjoyed catching the boys whether it was in or out of the water. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of like the red flag, you yeah. know, like, wow, I'm catching the boys. So off I went. And that I guess that's when made me realise how your mindset can change so quickly and we are really in control of what thoughts we choose. And um, so I headed off and I finished my festival marathon swim six hours, 20 minutes. Wow. Didn't catch the boys, but I did make up 20 minutes on them. So I'd still lay claim to the fact that if it had been longer, I would have eventually mowed them down. So, And as I now realise, I'm actually better at 40, 50 Ks is more my thing. 20 is actually short for me. Well, if only it was going to Mornington, you would have caught it. Yeah, Yeah. that's it. Down to Portsea. Come on. <laughs> do you have any concept, like, so in between, say, the 10 and 15, the peers? Yes. Do you have any concept of where you are, how far away you are, are people talking to you? That, like, no, you don't really. you're just looking for the peer? You're just looking for the peer. Wow, and, and, and distances at water level, things look very different. So somebody on a boat or somebody on the shore can look at it and go, oh, that's not very far, I can see it. But when you're actually, your eyeline is at water level, it's such a different perspective. Yeah. And you really have a reduced uh, line of visibility. So seeing things in the distance, especially when it's choppy, is really difficult. Okay. So, so getting your mind around where am I, and, and is that whole confusion, like how far have I got to go? And then all of a sudden, and, you know, you look up and it's there and then the excitement builds again. Yeah. Oh, I'm there, you know. So I've had that many times during a swim and I actually I actually try not to look when I'm doing a big swim for land because it's so deceptive, the distances, because you can look on the horizon and, and see a land mass and think, oh, that doesn't look that far away, but it can still be 20 kilometres away yeah. and that's like another five, six hours of swimming. So yeah. have, you, um, have you seen the movie The Inbetweeners? You probably haven't. No. Oh, <laughs> a, we'll put it up in the clip. There's a great, there's a great shot and uh, they're on this boat party. And uh, the girl that he actually really loves is on the sand and all his mates are like, it's not that far, you can swim back. And they're all chanting him and chanting him and he jumps off 20 minutes later and he's, he's only moved about 100 metres and he has to get uh, airlifted to the shore, you know, because it looks water. so close. 
Yeah. Well, I'll definitely much... have to see that. Yeah. yeah. God, very funny. Yeah, yeah. It's so true, though. Like I said, you know, the in-the-water perspective is, is you know, so different. And, and actually, you know, in planning a lot of the swims, because a lot of the swims that I've done, you know, have just been like expeditions. And so I do a lot of the logistics behind the, behind the scenes. And you really have to get the perspective of the swimmer out to the support crew and, yeah. you know, to the, you know, people on board that are, mm. that are looking after you because they see things so differently to what you do and they don't experience what you're doing, being in the water, being isolated, you know, looking down. All, you literally have all the senses taken away because generally we wear earplugs just, yeah. you know, to stop water getting in yeah. and, and your goggles get fogged. and yeah. So you really, you're really just in your own mind. Well, that's the thing. I kind yeah. of like – because the only way I can possibly try and understand it is I think about running, running a long way. But at least when you're running, normally you're wearing a watch or you're holding your phone and you can see how far you've gone, you've got a target or you can see what's around you. And you can wear earpods too. That's right. You know, like you've got music, so you've, you've got scenery, you've got stuff, but swimming you don't. You yeah, just, no distraction. And no. if you're in a pool, at least you know you're going back and forth, you know how long you've gone and how far it's to go. And like, do you switch your mind off? I'm interested, like when you're swimming, what are you thinking about? Because when you're like going back to that running analogy... Oh. Well, hold on a minute. This is this is just the first marathon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> mate, <laughs> mate, mate, yeah. you're swimming bass straight. <laughs> Come on. I just can't. I'm just. I'm, I'm just, waiting for him to ask about it. I'm, a, I'm amazed. I'm just amazed by it. He's intrigued about Bo Morris to Frank. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I just can't comprehend it. I can't comprehend it. It's amazing. Well, you you are so right. Like with the comparison with running, because funnily enough, I actually took up running over um, COVID because okay. all the pools were shut and couldn't yeah. get to you know within a five k radius. So, and I'm terrible on land. Like I'm. I don't know whether you you're probably both too young to remember Cliff Young, who was like the potato farmer from Colac, who won the Sydney to Melbourne run. He no, broke the record. Him. Look him up because he 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 like he won. They didn't. He'd never run. He'd never run an ultra marathon before ever in his life but he used to chase the sheep and stuff uh, on his property and he actually ran the race in like wow. gumboot like really he was that like unprofessional <laughs> but see what he did is he didn't sleep like he only had like uh, a couple of hours sleep and he just kept going and going and going and so whilst he was the slowest to start he'd actually pass all yeah. the, right. know, the race leaders and he ended up winning and setting a new record wow. so wow. so we we used to laugh and call it the cliff young shuffle because he sort of shuffled along yeah. his gumboot so that that's kind of like what I look like on land trying to <laughs> run. But, you know, but I, but it's like swimming. It's nice having goals and trying yeah. to, you know, do something. So I'm actually running in a 10K, the run Melbourne in a couple of weeks' time and building up to a half marathon. Hopefully. Good on you. That's, yeah, that's amazing. So it's amazing. But it is great, like you said, because I run with the, one of the mums, um, one of my daughter's friends, and we just, we talk nearly the whole time when yeah. we're running. So an hour goes by and, and we're like, oh, my goodness, then we've been running that long. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, whereas swimming, like back in the day when I was training, I remember I used to train at Dandenong Pool and halfway through our session we'd have the um, synchronised swimmers come in and they train at the other end of the pool and they used to sort of drop in these underwater speakers and then, you know, there'd be music playing. And that was pretty cool. And I thought to myself, oh, I need to get these speakers. So when I was actually training for my first swim around Port Phillip Bay, I had a shark cage built. And I thought, oh, get one of those speakers and put it in. And then that way I can listen to music and, you know, and Mm. Dawn Fraser, my mentor and coach, can speak to me through the microphone and give me some updates and stuff like that. This is life changing, like, you know. But um, when we put it in the water, it didn't work because oh, no. what we didn't realise is the sound waves bounce off the walls gotcha, of the pool. the pool. Yeah, whereas this is a moving body of water. So I could, I said, have you got it turned up? And they're like, yeah, it's on, <laughs> it's on full blast. And I'm like, I can't hear anything. I can't hear back in black. No, I can't. I can't. I was, I was into ABBA at that stage. Yeah, oh, so we, was, we love oh, ABBA. Don't worry. 
So I couldn't hear anything. So I had to just revert back to very basic strategy where I listen to a lot of music before I do a swim and I memorise songs. Really? Yeah. Oh. Just memorise tracks. Like just just to listen and listen and listen so much that you go, okay, playlist. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah, wow. do that. Even movies. So one of my all-time favourite movies is a movie called The Big Blue, which is by Luc Besson. And, and it's about a, a man who does free diving and he's got this real connection with the ocean and dolphins and stuff. So it's kind of a bit of a, a, a water fanatics type movie. Yeah. But it was very, it was a big cult movie back in the 80s. And so I've watched that so many times that I could actually visualize, you know, parts of the movie. So switch over. Or I also get my support crew because they have a whiteboard and they write me messages, like which I look at while I'm in between yeah. strokes. Wow. And I'll get them to actually write songs up for me so that it, it prompts me to, you know, play that particular yeah. song or, or they'll draw me a silly picture. Right. Joke, yeah, all that sort of thing. So, so there's a real communication going on with the crew, but of course that all deteriorates when you're swimming at night. You can't see the board, yeah. Or if it gets really choppy, you just you can't see the board. It's just so hard trying to focus on your stroke and dealing with the waves that you can't read anything. So it's hard. So you do have to have the plan B strategy of like, okay, what am I going to do if it's just me? Yeah. (laughs) So after that first marathon, you get into these incredible. Adventures, I guess you could say. Yeah. Where, where does where does all this start, and where does it come from? Well, look, I guess you know the first one kind of just opened my eyes up. I didn't realize that marathon swimming was even a sport when I did that race, and when I finished, I didn't realize, but there was the Australian women's marathon swimming champion was actually in the field, and she finished second behind me, and so I didn't even know that so I was approached by a coach an Australian coach and he said to me do you realize this is a sport you could represent your country you could travel around the world and I kind of then went wow this is mm. really exciting because obviously you know my my pool swimming I'd, I'd lost the interest in pool swimming and I was just doing the life-saving and I thought yeah this would be really cool so I'll give it a go and I just really I loved the fact that it's the the mind driven sort of side of things like it really made me discover how much more I was capable of and I thought to myself how much further could I swim because Mm. you know doing that kind of an event once you challenge yourself you know you step outside the comfort zone and then you kind of look back and go wow I did that yeah I wonder what else I can do you know sort of you know perpetuating isn't it really once we start to set little goals and have a go at something so that that's kind of where it led so I started then you know training for marathon competitions and I did travel overseas a couple of years later did the European circuit which was just mind-blowing because I'd never traveled to Europe I was 21 and I did like you know the swim from Capri to Naples in Italy, you know, the Strait Strait of Messina between Sicily and and, um, mainland Italy. Just I did a race. I swam Lake Zurich in in Switzerland from Rappersville to Zurich. I did a couple of races in Holland down the canals. Like it's like having a a swimming, a marathon swimming holiday basically. And it's amazing because you meet all these incredible people. You have a great time. Did they have plenty of big M's and Mars bars? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, by then my nutrition had improved slightly, <laughs> yeah. so I learned a little bit more about what you should and shouldn't do. But, I mean, look, it was a lot of trial and error because it was still such a new sport yeah. and, you know, sports nutritionists weren't really yeah. – I guess there wasn't too many of them. Yeah. Whereas now it's like everybody, you know, goes, well, I'll go and see a dietitian yeah, or a sports yeah. nutritionist. Back then, nah. Yeah. Like, you know. So, so yeah, so that, that kind of led me. Doing that circuit was just incredible. So I did that for a number of years. And then 
And then I basically thought, oh, I'm going to swim the channel. So that was kind of like do the channel and I did that in 93 and I had planned to do that with my brother. My brother yeah. had started marathon swimming as well. He's four years younger than me. Saw me going overseas and doing all these great <laughs> things and went, yeah. Were you and still I, 21 at this time? I was 24. <laughs> yeah, wow. So he was only 20. Yeah. I think he was thinking of Italian girls and yeah, Swiss girls. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so it's just, you know, exciting to go over and, and do something like that. So he, he followed me over and we went over and did the channel together. And the only problem was is that the channel was very cold. And mm. so you, you are prone to hypothermia when your, you know, core body temperature drops sort yeah. of four degrees or lower and it's actually very dangerous and so we did a lot of training in the lead up we did a lot of swims during winter in Port Phillip Bay and we also put on weight because um you know fat is insulation so we started like eating like (laughs) more than just carbohydrates because see when you're swimming you're training right you're doing 20 kilometers a day so it's hard enough to eat just to maintain your weight, let alone yeah. to gain. So you kind of have to go to the really fatty stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, what yeah. a shame. Don't we all hate that? <laughs> yeah, pizzas and <laughs> cakes and chocolates and, yeah, KFC, all that stuff. Horrible. So, yeah, you're really painting horrible pictures. Horrible, yeah. horrible, I know. It just sounds awful to be a marathon swimmer. Lots of beer, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> keep your float, yeah. So, yeah. So we went over and I noticed that during the training, so – my brother was a lot thinner than me, and, and this is um, typically a problem for um, males more than females because they have a lower percentage of body fat, like yep. more muscle, So whereas females have more natural body fat. So I was coping with the cold a lot better than John. We went. I was concerned about him, and when we went over, um, I actually asked Dawn to go on my brother's boat because we both had to have a, a separate support boat. So we start together, but we have like separate boats, and we sort of ended up going on a separate path just according yeah. to how you pace. Four kilometres away from the coast of France, he got hypothermia. disappeared under the boat dawn had to jump in pull him back on board it was a really rough crossing and um she broke four ribs in the process of pulling him back on board the boat and she had to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation so yeah it was horrendous experience i didn't know i was still swimming and the um my support crew decided not to tell me and i was asking them all the time because i was worried about him i kept saying how's john going where's john and then they stopped telling me and i knew something was up but i didn't know things were that bad. So I managed to um, get to France and I actually set the fastest time of the year. So I got a smashing time. And then they told me what had happened to John and that he was already on his way back to England. You know, they had him going to the hospital. So I met him in the hospital and everything, he was fine, you know, stayed overnight, checked him out, all okay. And to his credit, he decided he wanted to go back the following year and have another go. So we realised that he'd just have to be so much fatter. Like yeah. he just he needed so yeah. much more body fat. He'd put on twelve kilos, and it still wasn't enough for yeah. him. Whereas I'd put on well, ten, and I was okay, no dramas whatsoever. Like didn't even work up a shiver. So <laughs> Dawn said, "I've got a secret recipe to help you gain weight." So she she was she had a pub in Balmain at that time, and she told him to drink a glass of stout mixed with lemonade, a little bit of lemonade every night before he went to bed. Well, 22 kilos later. Oh, my gosh. The following year we went over and John and I became the first brother and sister to swim the channel together. (laughs) I can't believe because it's just 22 – like imagine trying to swim or run or do anything with 22 kilos on your back or holding or what. Well, see, it's different in water though because fat helps you float. So it does two things. It also helps you float. So you're a lot more buoyant. So you're not – yes, you do have to pull it. There is obviously a pro rata. There's a point where, yes, you do have to be stronger to be able to pull that. But but a lot of it is dispersed because you get a higher buoyancy. I see. Okay. Yeah. So it's um, it's a double effect. Did you ever have a try of the stout? 
With the I'm not a big stout person, no. <laughs> what is it? It's beer, isn't it? Or something? It is, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I'm not even sure because it's, yeah, I had a little taste and it was pretty gross. Yeah, so gosh. Before my... bed too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Makes you sleep well though, apparently. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> well, how special is that for you to do that with your brother and be the first brother-sister duo to, to complete the English channel? Oh, it was fantastic. It was a really special thing to be able yeah. to do that. So, and to share that experience and to share the training, like, you know, because yeah. you do, in the winter, we had to do a lot of training out in the bay when it was cold, you know, six o'clock in the morning, it's dark yeah. because you have to get used to night swimming as well, because, you know, when you go to the channel, they give you like a two week weather window. And so you're on, you're in constant communication with your boat crew. You're assigned, you pay for a boatman, costs about, well, back in the day, it cost $3,000 to book a boat to take oh, a wow. boat. Yeah, yeah and that's not even including your flights and your accommodation and everything else to get over there yeah you're just basically ringing them every day and they sort of say to you well you know it's looking like tomorrow could be good the tides are good but you know the weather could pick up let i'll call you in the morning and we'll see where we're at so so you always have to be ready to go it's really yeah. hard mentally because you're constantly on standby yeah. and you can be like that for two weeks like every day waking up and you don't know whether to kind of get in the water and do a little swim or a big swim or you know to yeah. kind of keep up your fitness so to speak and the feel of the water um, because, yeah, you just don't know. And they could, you know, say, hey, we're going to go at 1 o'clock in the morning because it's looking like it's really good. And you're all prepped and ready and you get down to the dock and you've got all your food and stuff ready. And then they call it off. And then they say, yeah. no, nah, the winds have picked up. Sorry, go back to bed. So you go back and then, you know, you're on standby for the following day. So, it, you know, it's really mentally draining to be over there and to be, like, you know, ready sure. to go. So but How yeah. far is it again? It's a, um, 35 k's, yeah, okay. in a straight line. You probably end up swimming closer to 40 by the time you – you do like an S path is generally what you do because oh, you have okay. a tide running along the English coast and a tide with the French coast. So you've got two tides to contend with. The second one's always the hardest because, like, you know, you can be within – like me, I was within two kilometres of the French shoreline and the boatman said to me, you're going to have to pull your finger out because the tide's turning oh. and if you don't hurry up, you're going to be swimming for another six hours or we'll be in Holland. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, you kind of think, well, what does he think I've been doing for the last eight yeah. hours? Like, I haven't yeah. been slouching. I've actually been going flat chat. So then you have to find something extra because you know that if you don't, you're not going to make it. And that eight hours is worth nothing. Right. So it's, yeah, again, it's a mental game. You know, you have to find different levels. You have to be able to to cope with constant change and adapt to that. Yeah. Be ready, you know. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, another one of your big accomplishments is the New York to Sandy Hook. And the 81-year record that you broke, can you talk yeah. us through that experience? Oh, look, that, that's one of my favourites. Look, I love all the swims, but yeah. this has a really lovely story because Gertrude Edley was the first woman to ever swim the English Channel back in 1925. Hero of mine, you know, yeah. once I started into the marathon swimming path, you know, you obviously get to know about all the previous marathon swimmers. A real icon for, for women in particular too because back when she tried to swim the Channel, no woman had done it. And okay. And there was this stigma about women being involved in sport. And so the first time she went over there, you know, she had trouble raising the funds to get over there in the first place because, again, you know, it wasn't seen like a thing for women to do. And the story goes is that she got three quarters of the way across and it got really rough and apparently her coach decided to pull her out. So when somebody touches you on the boat from the boat, that means the swim's over. As soon as you have contact with, you know, anyone, you you can only be on your own treading water. Like, they can pass you things, but you can't physically hold a hand or touch on. So so her coach literally grabbed her and then the swim was aborted and she was really upset because I think, you know, she was 
you know, able to keep going, but he was worried. So then she went home and of course she got terrible press. Everyone wrote, see, we told you women can't swim the channel. It's not, they're not great at sports, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she decided to put her head down and train for it. And um, the following year, she went over and she not only swam the channel, but she smashed the men's record by two hours. And it was incredible. Like, she was world famous. So, front page incredible. of New York Times, ticker tape. Was she American? Yeah, she okay. was from, um, she's actually from New Jersey. Okay. Yeah, so, and she got a ticker tape parade down, you know, in Times Square. Yeah. Like, absolutely just a hero. And there's something like, I think they said, you know, hundreds of thousands of women then took up swimming lessons yeah, there you after go. that. How because, good. Yeah, so she really paved the way like had to go through a lot of obstacles you know like back in the day like they didn't even know she made her own swimming costume really yeah she wore bike you know bike goggles like when you ride a motorcycle because the goggles weren't even developed back in 1925 so you know she wore like there was you see pictures of her coming out she's covered in this type of grease i don't even know what it looks like like a vaseline like a yeah (laughs) so you know there was you know i talk about not knowing anything about nutrition when i swam in 1986 from bone Back in 1925, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what they would have been having on the boat. And Bit of pig fat. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows? So, so wow. it was a really big thing. So she was a really big hero of mine. So... She actually did the swim from New York to New Jersey as a bit of a warm-up, like a trial mm. swim before going over to England. And her record had stood for a very, very long time. And it was something that I thought, well, wouldn't it be great to go over and just honour her, do yeah. the swim and honour her? And I actually um, got a chance to meet all her family. So Gertrude oh, never great. married, doesn't have any kids, but her nieces and nephews yeah. are still living in New Jersey and New mm. York. So I got into contact with them and we actually had a dinner a couple of nights before the swim, a massive dinner. Lovely. All the Italy family were there, lovely, lovely people, the most gorgeous people. And we had a bit of a celebration and they actually came on board my support boat and were with me the whole time. And so That's when incredible. I broke Gertrude's record, they were like, we couldn't think of anybody better to, to break it because, you know, it was all about her, you know. So That's it was amazing. lovely to be able to do that. That's awesome. And then... You didn't just break it though. You smashed it. Well, you know, in, tr- in true Gertrude fashion, hey? Because yeah. she would, you know, that's what she stood for too, you know, girls knocking it out of the park. So yeah. so it was really lovely to be able to do that and, and share that celebration with her family. And also I had a very special honour too that the, the mayor of Monmouth County, which is where I finished in New Jersey actually, like was waiting on the shore and made a proclamation that from this day forth, July 21st, the day I did the swim, would be Tammy Van Wister Day in New Jersey. Wow. wow. Yeah, so all the schools learn about my um, really? achievements. Yeah, yeah, I've got a certificate really? That's and incredible. Everything. Yeah, I know, right? It's so, like, I was, like, blown away. I'm like, wow. do they even do this? Like, That's amazing. How does that happen? So, yeah. So well, it was super we special. saw the footage where you ring your mum or she rings you and it's three in the morning in Australia. Like, that must have been pretty special. And she yeah. waited up to, to oh, hear the news. yeah, yeah. Look, you know, obviously, <laughs> what, you know, like we talked about before, mum and dad driving me up and down to the pool. It's like, you know, put in so much time and effort and they know what you've been through to get there. So, yeah, so super special to have wonderful parents that, yeah, yeah always there for me. So, yeah, yeah. And, and first people I speak to when I do a swim or, yeah. you know, it was good. And so getting support for, like, funding for the swims is really difficult, especially in the early days. Mm. So dad was my biggest sponsor most of the – for the early days. And yeah. so, you know, they couldn't often travel, so they didn't actually see me swim. Like, they didn't come to Europe to see me swim. They didn't come to New York to see me swim because they couldn't because, you know, somebody had to be at home working and looking after my younger sister and keeping everything running. So so they've only been on a couple of swims, actually, to actually see me do a marathon. Yeah. When it comes to funding – how do you do it? Because do you, do you have someone doing it for you? Are you doing it yourself? Do you have businesses that every swim you go to, you know, oh, I'm going to go talk to this 
person or this lady or this man because every time he, he supports. How does it kind of work or is it really difficult? In the beginning, when I started travelling to Europe, I was actually in the Victorian Institute of Sport. So we went th- sort of through some funding avenues through government funding because, you know, obviously competing at a late level. But it would be enough to cover half of your playing fare, you know, that's sort yeah, of what much. you're doing. So not much. So really, like I said, parents support. Without my mum and dad, you know, I wouldn't have been able to actually get that initial start and get over yep. there and get that experience on the ground. So and then English Channel, that was kind of like probably the first big one that we started like looking at fundraising for and I did speak to a lot of people about how to go about it and we started to write letters like we just did a blanket coverage like I was writing letters to Qantas to all the airlines just to say hey going over to represent Australia hoping to become the first brother and sister to swim the channel together you know the marketing opportunities like you know the premium space on the swim cap you know the tracksuit the moments but obviously we didn't have social media back then so so part of it was also doing the media so you had to kind of like make contacts with the media be able to send out your own press releases so that would be things that i'd be thinking about when i go over there where can i get to a fax <laughs> oh, okay. because you couldn't you know we, we weren't ringing people unless you had a sat phone you weren't ringing because you're on a boat so yeah. you, you wouldn't find out what had happened until like it takes it takes still two hours to get back from france so you swim from england to france in eight and a half and it takes another hour and a half to two hours to get back again to England. (laughs) So then you've got to get back to your accommodation. So, you know, it's not like it is today where instantly you're posting and two minutes later after you've completed a swim, people know about it. It was such a different era then. So you really had to think on a different sort of level. So we did a lot of that and we picked up little bits and pieces. We did fundraisers through the swimming club, which helped a lot. So you got a few donations, people helping you out. But generally it was pretty much, you know, hand to mouth, like really scraping together the the last dollars to get over there because swimming the channel is expensive. Like it's 10 grand. Well, I was going to say, so how much does it cost, especially if you're in Australia, to yeah. go over and, and um, I don't know, do, do you have to like bring, say, Dawn Fraser with you and pay for her expenses? Like, I, Yeah, well, you would, do. You yeah. do. If you want to bring, them, you know, people over with you, you know, obviously you can't expect them to travel for nothing. You have to, you know, foot their plane fare as yeah. well. Like you have to have somebody on your support boat regardless to look after you and to feed you. You always need one support crew per swimmer so you yeah so you need to be able to get them over so yeah so it's, it, it adds up you know back in the yeah. day even back then 10 grand like i don't know what it is now but you know like i said it's it's a huge amount of dollars and it was expensive for us to be over in england too because the Aussie dollar was very low back in those i mean it's the same now but it was pretty bad like you know it's almost double to go and eat you'd be like oh my goodness spending so much money just on food and accommodation yeah it's it's so hard so you get through the first one so we, we got quite a bit of publicity so you start to gain momentum I guess with the press and you start to Mm. make your media contacts so it becomes a little bit easier to kind of media plan so then you can guarantee a little bit more exposure for sponsors Mm. but each swim you really look at the opportunities you think okay who's doing what and how can I help a company you know what company would be interested you know go the distance you know swim instead of flying over like I came up with ideas like instead of flying to Tasmania instead of doing it the hard way and swimming to Tasmania you know, catch, you know, whatever, you know, go on a Qantas flight or go on a Virgin flight, that type of thing. So you kind of try and think outside the box because it does give you those opportunities. Marathon swimming is a unique sport, so you have to think that way. Mm, 
Yeah. So, yeah, so it made me think on a different level as to how we could market it. So we did that. And for the Murray, I got enough sponsorship to cover the event. So I never made any money out of any of the swims. It was more just covering mm. costs because yeah. they're big expeditions like the Murray, three and a half months. I had. So let's talk about the Murray. Okay. So, All right. 2001. 2000, 2000. I started 2000? in November 2000 and I yep. finished in February 2001. So 106 days, is that correct? Yeah, three and a half months. Yeah. Swimming straight. Well, obviously sleeping yeah, at night. No, yeah. no, no, I know yeah. that. But <laughs> yeah. 106 days. Yeah, yeah, basically. So I, it's like a school term, you know, wow. term one, you're going to be swimming every day, you know, yeah. four to six hours, sometimes eight hours, just depending on. So, yeah, again, dealing, You're in the water every day. That's you're in the water every day, yeah. yeah. You cannot have a day off. So it's part of the, the rules. You have to swim a minimum of two hours. Yeah. So regardless of how you're feeling, if you're tired, you're sick, whatever, yeah. you have to go two hours. So, yeah, but the logistics for that were huge. Like, honestly, it took 18 months to plan it because we literally had to travel the length of the river, like go backwards and forwards and have a look at, you know, what type of accommodation was available, what the terrain was like, because we had to make sure that safety is the number one priority whenever yeah. I do a swim, for not only for myself but for my support crew because they're all volunteers generally. Yeah. yeah. And so if something happens, how do we get them out? How do we extract them? How do we? Where's the nearest hospital? Where's the nearest doctor? What do we do? Like the Murray... So there was the potential, there's a lot of snags in the Murray. So I got concussed a couple of times while I was swimming because they sit just below the surface. What are they? Just um, just fallen trees. Fallen trees. Yeah, Yeah. and so the water quality is very muddy. Yeah. And so you can't can't see. see. No, so, you know, you're hurling down the river and just hit them. And snakes, tigers and brown snakes, very territorial, lots of them in the river. It's okay, yeah. So if you get bitten, you know, what do you do? You know, because you need to get antivenine. Yeah. And you can't administer antivenine until someone's showing symptoms of actually not being able to breathe. Like, because a snake might bite you, but they might not inject the venom. So did you get bitten? I didn't, thank goodness. Oh, good. I had a couple of close calls. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we needed to know, because you're remote in some parts of the river. Back in the day, we had to get CDMA and satellite phones travelling with us because, and we had grid reference maps from the CFA because if something happened in a remote part of the river, we had to know, okay, well, this is our exact location and be able to call out because I had a land support and a water support crew. So I had a, a water support, like a boat beside me, a boat in yeah. front of me, a kayak paddler on the other side, and we would just be a separate entity. Like we would be self-sufficient. We'd yep. have all our lunch, everything. Crew would have everything packed and we'd go for the day eight hours, six, eight hours. And then the land crew, their job was to pack up camp and to move to the next location because we estimate how far I would swim. So we'd be a couple of days in the one location then we'd have to move. So doing the logistics and the planning, we had to think, okay, where can we refuel? Where yep. can we get petrol for the boat, diesel yeah, for the all boat? all that stuff. You don't, no, yep. I didn't think of that until no. you just mentioned it. Um, again, you know, where are nearest doctors, hospitals, that sort of thing. And then, of course, talking to all the local tourism people from each different town and, and they were just like they were so receptive to the swim and every single town wanted to throw like this massive welcome, oh, which was really exciting. But, see, they wanted dates and days and and the same with accommodation. So I couldn't really book anything because when you start, like someday you might swim six hours and you might do 20 kilometres. The next day you might do 10 because you're just exhausted or, you know, like I said, I get concussed, I run into a log and so do the minimum and, I, and I'm not where I want to be, like I fall behind schedule. So I actually mapped out a rough schedule of where I thought I would be because I was trying to break a record as well. Okay. But 
you know, I fell behind my own schedule. And, you know, we issued that to a lot of the towns and obviously the media got hold of that. So then the story became, well, she's behind schedule. Like, you know, even though I'm still ahead of the record. Like, yeah. So you're dealing with all of this wow. mental stuff. I'm getting, I, there was one point where I was very sick because of the water quality. Yeah. So, you know, I had gastro, really bad gastro, and I still had to get in the water. Yeah. Um, you know, so so many things are going on and you're trying to keep it all together and get yourself down there. But like I said, the logistics was just huge. But we got enough to, so I was lucky Jayco donated a couple of caravans to use for the trip and Nissan gave us a couple of four drives to pull the caravans. You know, we got some vouchers for the local supermarkets and right. you know some fuel vouchers yeah. and you know and a lot of the locals were just so fabulous i remember so many times i'd be swimming down the river and um you know there'd be a farmer like walking along the river <laughs> and waving and he'd have a like lamb over his shoulder and go here you go this is for you, and you oh. go, cook up tonight like you know just these really heartwarming like moments very generous very generous and i think you know i feel very privileged to have seen and experienced the the people who live along the murray and that whole just the scenery spectacular like yeah. the sunsets and sunrises on the murray just incomparable just incredible so yeah it was a whole whole different i guess aspect to australia for me yeah and, and also really different because a lot of the swims i've done like the english channel or bass strait you're out in the middle of an ocean and you can't see anyone and you've got nothing to look at other than your lovely support crew. But <laughs> swimming down the river, I found it really exciting because I could actually see people, like people would make big signs. Oh, so we swam past, there's a little town called Tulibuck and I remember somebody had taken like a bed sheet and they'd spray painted cup of tea, Tammy, and they actually had the billy on oh. for me to stop. So I did. We literally pulled in and I had a cup of tea with them. Yeah, and they baked a cake. That's and amazing. Then I went, Go on, jump back in the river, swam amazing. again, like just you know, such lovely country things. folk. Mm. There's something about there's just something different. We're spoiled up here. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah. City, you know? well, like when you're going through that too. Like, how do you? Because there's one thing swimming the English Channel, and it's you know it's done in one hit. Yes, but to do it day after day after day for 106 consecutive days, how yeah. the hell do you? Uh, do it. Look, do you know what? I look back, I even say a couple of times, you know, we drive up to a truck or whatever, and I go, oh my goodness, it's such a long drive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I think, what am I complaining about? I was well, on the length of this river. Yeah. You, know, you sort of go, it's funny how your perspective changes when you've got a really strong focus. You know, you've got a mission and this is what you're doing. So, you know, you think about it in a different way. But yeah, look, it was hard. It was one of the mm. hardest things I've had to do, just constantly getting yourself back up again and dealing with just different challenges every day. Like I said, and even changeover of crew for me. So like I couldn't afford to pay for people to come and support me. So I literally had people volunteer and we had like a list. And so people would generally come up for a week or two because that's they could get some time off work. Um, and it was over the summer holiday period. So they'd come up for a week. So we'd have like this timetable and I have a, like a minibus yeah. coming up from Melbourne. And, and every, two, every two weeks, roughly my, my crew turned over. So I get a new crew, but that meant I'd have to retrain them all because we were into this routine, you know, like you get to know what you're doing, you get to know who does what, who's doing the cooking, who likes what, you know. There's certain little sort of things that, you know, you fall into a bit of a a, a great sort of a habit. Routine, yeah. Yeah, routine. And so then you get a new crew and it's different personalities, you know, it's different clashes and how people, you know, you communicate with people. So it was challenging from that perspective too because it almost had to take a leadership role as well as swimming to keep the crew together. Captain and coach. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, things, you know, things, imagine like Big Brother on the water. Like you've got 12 people living together, tense caravans, like roughing it. 
and trying to, you know, do a job as well and be on top of their game because I needed them to basically be on the lookout for snakes and snags. Definitely. You know, my safety yeah. was at stake. So really high stakes, really tricky environment it's to amazing. be in. Yeah, so but we got there and it was just it's such a bonding experience though because you you form friendships with, you know, people because you I guess they see you at a very raw level, like yeah, you know, you I'll can't bet. hide anything when you're tired and you're in the water and, you know, you've got nothing left to give. You're just so exhausted and you're trying to just hold it together for the next day to get back in again. Yeah. And, you know, and there's some days when I just I tried I tried to think about it in a really positive way because there was a gentleman by the name of Graham Middleton who was the first person to swim the Murray prior to me and he lived in Coryong and he made it to Wellington, which is on Lake Alexandrina, about sort of 100 kilometres short of the Murray Mouth. And he set the record there because he was the first. My goal was to break Graham's record and then continue on to where it flows out into the Southern Ocean. And Graham had written a book and he passed away a few years before I, you know, was looking at doing the Murray. So I read his book, like, from cover to cover, just to even get logistical ideas on how yeah. he did it. And I remember there there was a, a bit in there where he said he actually got to a point where he'd sit on the side of the riverbank and just look at it and contemplate it for, like, two or three hours to motivate himself to get in the water. Mm. And I thought to myself, do you know what, I've always loved the water. I love swimming. It's my happy place, my relaxing place. I don't ever want to be like that. So I tried to keep a really positive vibe yeah. with the crew. So again, you know, we did lots of things. We planned lots of things. Like we'd get into towns and we'd have like dress up nights where we'd go to the local op shop and oh, cool. have a pizza night. You know, we just yeah. do really crazy things just to really encourage team bonding to try and keep that really positive vibe because I needed my crew to be up, yeah. you know, to help me as well, yeah. to do silly pictures on the whiteboard and, you know, my kayaker was doing an Eskimo roll every 100 kilometres <laughs> and, and champagne at the halfway mark. And it just... Yeah, you know, the little things. Little yeah. things, Christmas time, I remember. So at the halfway mark, I was able to get a houseboat to take us the rest of the way from Robinvale down. In my research, I worked out that it would be best to source one from South Australia and get it to come up to meet me and then it would go back home. Because this is all the things you're thinking about. Where do I get these yeah, things from? Yeah, of course. Because they have to go back. And So anyway, so the, we'd actually had a lot of rain and the river was high, so we was able to get to Robinvale, which was further than what we actually thought in the initial stages. And it was just like so exciting to be on a houseboat, like all of us to Luxury. be able to... Yeah, because <laughs> literally my mum my mum was in the crew and she's an amazing cook and she was doing all the cooking and I remember on Christmas Day she was cooking up this amazing Christmas lunch houseboat was just in front I, I did 25 k's in the morning and I could smell oh, I could smell the lunch and it just was so amazing so just brought about different logistical challenges for us but it was great to kind of be based on the river I still had to have a land support because again we still had to get supplies and to, but it yeah. wasn't as big like we weren't you know setting up camp and stuff like that so do you yeah. think uh and this goes back a little bit to what you're saying, having fun with yeah. the crew. Do we sometimes take life too seriously? Do you reckon? Like, I reckon. You know, a big part of a challenge doesn't necessarily have to be this brutal, almost death-defying, scary. Like, it, it just sounds like you've created something fun, joyful, and I guess positive around something that's really challenging. I think I think you've touched on such a great point there. I think you know, if you're fortunate enough to be able to find what you're passionate about, I think you know there's always going to be an element where it's hard work. Yep. But 
on the whole, if you can make, you know, 80% of it fun, because I, I love it. I, I love the training. I love being in a squad. I love bringing my crew together. It's really exciting. I love the logistics, the planning. It's, it's lots of fun. I really enjoy it. And again, meeting people, you know, during the swims, when you travel, you, I guess you get to see people in such a different way because they're there to help you do something very unique. And yeah. so they respond like, you know, when I travel to countries, you know, even to Loch Ness, you know, people are just so welcoming because they're like you're doing what like and then they fall over (laughs) themselves to help you and it's it's such a different experience Mm. so I've been so fortunate to meet so many amazing people and so when I look back on the journeys it's it's mostly about the people it's really just you know that connection with the wonderful people even like Dawn like you know she was a hero growing up and I would never have thought that I'd be like swimming with her on my support boat, and I'd have to pinch myself sometimes when I'm going. Oh my goodness, that's that's Dawn Fraser, and she's on my support boat. Like, yeah, you know. So you just, yeah, you don't know where life will take you, but if you can take on a project that you've, you know, you're passionate about, I think it makes so much difference. Creating fun in your life. Look, we get more done when we're happy. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's, it's scientifically proven if you yeah. can, you know, look at life with a smile. And <laughs> well, one quick question, like before we sort of start to wrap this up yeah because one thing i wanted to ask is in between all this in your training period are you working and if so what are you doing okay so um initially i was a graphic designer so i trained as a graphic designer and um my dad had a printing business so fortunately (laughs) had a good boss (laughs) and uh so we were working from home because dad had converted like uh the garage in the backyard he eventually moved his business you know to home so we were able to work from home and do that together so we had a family business running mum was the secretary doing all the invoicing so it was really ideal basically so that that enabled me to be able to fit in the training and do a bit of extra work like even late in the evening if a job had to go out and I had to get you know something designed I could come back home after training and and you know go back out out. yeah smash that so it gave us that flexibility so for like the young person that's listening that is going after their ambition whatever that is yep how important is it then to in the other areas of your life that's important like work for example a study how important is it to potentially change that up to make it more flexible so you can achieve the things that fill your cup. Do you know what I think? I think one of the really great things that's come about now with um, with sports in general, and you see it a lot in the, with the football, is that the players are actually being encouraged to learn skills, yeah. you know, to study, mm. and they're given a career path. Mm. And I think it's so important because it's all about balance. No yeah. matter what we yeah. do, you know, if you have too much of one thing, you get sick of it and – and then if you want to change track, you've got nothing to fall back on either. So I think mm. having a diversity of interests is a really good thing. So I think it's important that, yeah, you have other paths that you're following, other goals as yep. well as your big goals. So whether that be studying or whether that be looking for, you know, another career, it's it's great to have lots of irons yeah. in the fire. Love yeah. it, Tammy. Mm. What, what would be your proudest moment of, I guess, well, not just your career, what's your proudest achievement of your whole life? Like you've achieved some incredible things. You hold six, well, hold five. You've had six world records. You've had a daughter. You're married. There's a lot of stuff in there. Like what? Well, you've been on the Dawson D show. Yeah, you've been on the <laughs> Dawson D podcast. 
Um, hopefully that's towards the top. Uh, no, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. What, what, what is your proudest achievement? I would have to say having my daughter. Yeah. You know, there's there's something super special about becoming a parent and so many people had told me about it. And I, and I had my daughter late. I was 39 when I had my daughter. So, you know, I travelled and done lots of things. So probably I was a lot more content too. You yeah. know, either way you can have them young and then travel later. But, yeah, having, having Rebecca has been just the most amazing, incredible thing to, mm. yeah, to guide and, and there's just that special bond and relationship that you just can't beat it over any achievement you know yeah it really doesn't doesn't even come into significance really so yeah oh look i've just really enjoyed today been so nice to listen i could listen to your stories for hours do you actually are you an author do you have a book i don't you know people people keep telling me to write a book and i i started many years ago and i did a couple of chapters and i really do need to get back into doing that, so okay, something we'll on keep the, an eye out there. Yeah, 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 something on the horizon. Don't expect it too soon. I, you know, <laughs> I am an endurance person, so it takes me a long That's time okay. to do anything. But you're on the speaking circuit. You, know, you do a I lot am. of keynotes. Yeah, you know. yeah, I do a lot. So of you are keynotes. sharing your story in some way. Absolutely. No, look, it's lovely to be able to do that. And again, you know, I count my blessings because it's, you know, what a wonderful thing to be able to do to travel and meet people and to be able to recount, you know, what you've done and to have people interested in Mm. in what you've achieved. So it's really nice for me to be able to do that. Do you have a website or anything that people can maybe get in contact with you or? Um, Probably just Instagram is probably the easiest. Yeah, or Facebook. I'm just Tammy Van Whistler in all lower cases. So yeah, I'm still another thing in the public. Got to get the website done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. No, well, thank, thank you, Tammy. you so much, Tammy. It's Had a, a pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, loved it. Dee, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, Dee? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode.